HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street. Do you need a conference room for your next meeting? Learn more by visiting 100bogart.com. This is Eli Sussman, host of The Line on Heritage Radio Network. I've been a part of the HRN community for almost three years, and even after all that time, I'm constantly inspired by the incredible voices of our network. Each week, I record my show in the HRN studio made from two recycled shipping containers because I'm excited to bring you, our listeners, the most important stories from the world of food. All of us here at HRN make food radio because we love it. This year, HRN is celebrating its 10th anniversary, but we need your support to keep food radio going strong for the next decade. Join the HRN community today by becoming a member. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate right now. You can even show some love for my show by selecting the line in the designation drop-down menu. Thanks for listening to HRN. Welcome to The Line. I'm your host, Eli Sussman, and I co-own Samisa Restaurant. We have locations in Brooklyn and Manhattan. We've been open for a few years now, but as an owner and as a chef, I still have a ton to learn about running a business, time management, fundraising, growing a business, and of course, managing people. So each episode, I sit down with a restaurateur, an owner, or a chef, or all three, and pick their brain about their life choices, career trajectory, their mentors, mistakes they've made, and best advice that they can give. For those of you listening that are looking to move on to the next step in your career, or step out on your own, and you have fears, questions, and wonder about how to do it, this show is for you. Working the line is about being singularly focused on the food, respecting the product as it comes in, the mise en place as it's created, the pickups, the kitchen coordination of firing dishes off different stations in tandem. It's about working as part of a team and producing the best quality dishes dozens, even hundreds of times each service. The satisfaction comes from the chasing of excellence, the repetition that hopefully leads to perfection. And managing all of this chaos are the chef de cuisines, the executive chefs of the world, but for them, it can't only be a focus on the food. In this role, you must act as a physical and mental therapist, a coach, a mentor, a motivator. You're also sort of an accountant. You got to manage the books, and you're a director and a producer. Basically, you have to do it all. On top of juggling all of those spinning plates, you can often be beholden to a higher power, the owners, if you're not one of them. It's a high-pressure position in any restaurant, but is it more difficult when you work for a larger organization? Does a larger infrastructure contribute stability or make the job more complex? Today's guest is Jordan Terry, the executive chef of Dirty French. Welcome. Hi. Dirty French is a French bistro located on the Lower East Side. It's be- created by major food groups Mario Carbone, Rich Teresi, and Jeff Zelaznik. If you don't know who these guys are, they are behind many, many restaurants. Uh, you were just saying before we went on air that there's 18 properties now. So there's, Something like that. Yeah. There's Car- <laughs> Carbone, Santina, The Grill, Sedell's, Parm. They're all mostly fancier restaurants. Parm is fast casual. It does sandwiches. In your role, you manage a team of 70, and you focus on all aspects of what makes a successful operation. So we're talking about the restaurant hitting its goals, overseeing budgets, food and recipe development, and also paying attention to labor costs. Uh, Jordan, you grew up in Florida, and you got a degree in food science and human nutrition 
at the University of Florida. Uh, and after moving to New York City, you worked at some of the classic spots in New York, Prime Meats, Frankie's, Best Pizza, a lot of pizza places. I, I started in pizza, like 12, like 12, like washing dishes at a pizza heaven, uh, it's called. <laughs> before we get to that first job, I want to um, make sure that we, I just want to jump into major food group because- yeah. It's where you've spent the last five years, and we'll go back to Florida. I want to hear all about Okeechobee. That's all right. I, I try to avoid it too. Don't worry. O- yeah, you nailed it. That yes. Was, oh. uh, so since you've been at Major Food Group for a long time, I want to just talk about how you first got involved with them. It started with a Craigslist ad, right? Yeah. Okay. How, take, well, take it away. How did you get involved with them? Well, I don't know. I'd been a little lost for maybe a year or two. It's kind of like bouncing around, not exactly sure what I was going to do with stuff, and I had always kind of really liked like Terezi. I remember like just eating there years and years ago. And then um, it just kind of there was I was on Craigslist trying to like kind of find something and that popped up. And I applied and um, got uh, got a response from it. And I didn't think that would happen. And then went it hadn't even opened yet. It was still the under construction. And went to the hotel and met with the chef Dai there, who was the opening chef. And uh, I think in his words, he's like, oh, this kid has no idea what he wants to do. Perfect. <laughs> he's just like, he could like, I can manipulate the hell out of him. Yeah, mold him like clay, <laughs> work him to yeah. the bone. Yes, and I did not know how much working to the bone it would be going into a, opening a major food restaurant. It was, it was what, a lot. What was that opening process like? Yeah, it's a lot, but you know, what did they put you on a station? What is it like to be prepping as the restaurant's being built around you and then it opens, right? And then you're then there's no breathing. Yeah, it starts real early. <laughs> you, uh, it's like when we start. Um, pretty much all of our restaurants, with the way we open, is kind of um, all of the uh, PM line cooks pretty much start early in the morning and basically make all of their own mise en place in the very beginning of it all. The, the prep team is very minimal, and so it's like you're picking all of your own herbs. You're doing like you're making all of your own sauces. You're making all your stocks. You're making everything like that, and it's kind of like it's a lot. But you just have that ownership, I guess, over. Everything and then it's just you work through the day and race to try and get set up before service and you know you so just get family meal most time. <laughs> is that is that really because you want to be just you want to have intimate knowledge of everything that hits it, your station? So don't have just, a yeah. don't have a prep team just pass it off to you. Yeah, it's about just kind of having that responsibility for everything and uh, just everyone kind of understanding their music, especially like when you're going through an opening, you're not exactly sure how you want everything to be. Yet. It's like until you make everything together, it's like you R and D for two years. And you make all these dishes, and it's like, this is really good, this is really good, this, okay, this is on concept, great. And then you start putting them all together, and you're like, why do we have three of these steaks with butter sauce? Like, and then you just kind of like, you kind of clear, you kind of clear it out, and you, you kind of, you, everyone starts really idealistic with how you want to do your picks. It's like, oh, no, this will all be alimentary, this will be like this. And it's like, and then um, tickets start coming in, and things change quickly. And totally. You, you, you realize adapt. that maybe you don't want to just... <laughs> fire every single thing to order, right? It would no. be nice if you could buy yourself a little bit of time with certain yeah. certain pickups, <laughs> you know? A, there's a wisdom to it, to, to balancing all those things out. Let's, say my, let's not make every pan <laughs> sauce from scratch on the line yeah. at the exact same <laughs> moment. And uh, even just the, the setup of your kitchen, you know? Like, how, like, do you, it's like we didn't have a, 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 it's like setting up another pass or something like that. It's just, you don't know what you're going to need until you kind of get in there. That's that's the fun part about setting up a restaurant. Did you find when you came into Dirty French that there were – I mean you try to think about everything before you open, right? But did you find that there were configuration problems in the kitchen? Oh, a million things, yeah. This is like we need this, ta- this table doesn't make any sense here. It doesn't work at all. Like yeah. it's uh, we're trying to expo straight from the past, but it's not set up so it's not set up like an island style. So it's like it's just jammed up and there's like there's now there's expo and runners like behind the chef and not he's not happy yeah <laughs> like, there's uh, there's always those kind of moving pro- fridges <laughs> problematic moments where you're where you think of everything and then you realize that you're going to open in three days and you have to go to the back to the drawing board on so many things uh let's let's rewind a little bit you're from florida yeah. uh you grew up and sort of near the water but actually inland a little bit by a lake which yeah, so, is a pretty famous lake well I mean, people pretty have heard, famous yeah people, people have heard, heard of it, it definitely yeah, it's big it. in florida yeah um, very big in florida <laughs> what is what's that lifestyle like growing up it's sort of in between miami orlando so like miami i've been to like twice in my life <laughs> like it's you know it's a three and a half hour drive away right. mm-hmm. um 
uh, Orlando's about two hours drive north. Like so, where I'm from, it's kind of like it's Okeechobee. It's right kind of in the center of the of the state, right there on the on the lake. But it's about an hour away from the next town for the most part. So we kind of pretty self sufficient. You know, we have our own Walmart. We have two McDonald's. <laughs> so you know. Making, I think so. A, it's happening. There's a Home Depot there now, so things have changed. But you know, there's one high school, football one town? little league. Every town's a little bit of a football town down there. Yeah. We weren't very good. Uh huh. I it, certainly wasn't. But I, <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining this just sort of like classic Florida. Oh, it's town yeah. football truck town. Yeah, it's definitely on the on the redneck side. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Gotcha. You said it. I didn't say it. Uh, and so. It's a two McDonald's town, probably not a, you know, culinary center point in Florida. How did you get into food? Were your parents into food? What did they do for their careers? And what in the world prompted you to pick up a food job when you were 12 and continue going down this path? Well, it started like, I mean, my mom was a teacher for Mm -hmm. 35, 40 years. She taught middle school the whole time. So she has a saintly patience. Um, I, I still see middle schoolers. I still don't want to be near them to this day. <laughs> just like, ah, uh, just the, you're just, you're the worst version of yourself, you know? Yeah, totally. So, like, Seventh she, graders yeah. are just I mean, rough. she was my teacher too, cause you know, it's oh, not, wow. not that big of a town, <laughs> but, uh, so she was a teacher. Um, my dad was a corrections officer. He worked at the sheriff's department. And, uh, then my stepdad was, uh, a musician. So he traveled around a lot, um, doing like, he'd play in like, um, casinos and stuff in like Mississippi and some of that. Then he'd play at like resorts in like Georgia and like Captiva and like he kind of did that. The, for... the riverboat. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And that was uh, that was what he did. Uh, and then whenever he was back in town, he would work at um, with one of his friends who owned a, a pizza shop there called Pizza Heaven. And it was like a local pizza joint, which is not too common. You know, there was the Domino's, there was the Pizza Hut, but that was like the kind of the local spot. It's still there, still. I ate there a couple years ago. It's still pretty damn good. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was like it was all real food. Like they they made dough and they 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 cooked sauce and then they made it was great. That's uh, awesome. And you did end up working there. Yeah. So he would work there like a delivery driver and stuff like that when he was um, like uh, between like between different like gigs I suppose is the term. And then uh, uh, so I ended up getting a job there just kind of washing dishes like you know on like Fridays and Saturdays like mm-hmm. after school. And I just kind of like, I kind of fell in love with the lifestyle. Just like, there's kind of just like, there's a camaraderie that in kitchens that is really unique, I think, to a lot of plate, to a lot of things. And it's like everyone of all different kinds, all different kind of people are all together, different ages, different like um, education levels, all kinds of things. Like people are so different and they're all kind of like doing the focus on one thing. And I really kind of enjoyed that aspect of it and the lifestyle was great you know a 12 year old just living it up you know, i think i got <laughs> as like much I get, pizza as you could oh, possibly eat so much pizza i make like i i exper- i played around a lot with like like i get all i there was it was the game i try to teach people now it's like you get all of your work done and then you can kind of start to look at other things that are going on around you like you can't you still have to hold your stuff down and then you can do more, like until you kind of master what you're like. So I would scrub the hell out of the floor, get all the, then I'd go like kind of lean in the kitchen and like try to make try to make a pizza or something. Hey, like let that. me make a wacky pizza. It, it would just be for me, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, it was a lot of fun. And I get like a coke at the end of the shift. It was great. <laughs> so so you after your first foray into pizza creativity, you're you're well on your way, and a couple years down the line, you're you're in Gainesville. Yep, so and I go to college. Then you're really working at a restaurant, right? Yeah, Tiamo. So I started, oh, Tiamo, yeah. <laughs> so I started, like, I uh, went to college, and I was kind of getting more and more interested in food. I had started cooking a lot with my girlfriend at the time, or her mother, um, making, a, like, a lot of, like, um, Indian food, like, every night. So like, everything we were making was from scratch every day, like, for, like, so I did that for almost, like, a year. I'd, I'd be over at their house, and we'd be making, making flatbread, making rice, making curries, like kind of like that. And I really just got into the whole daily cooking routine, mm-hmm. which is not something we did as much um, when I was younger. Uh, and kind of really that and some other friends, like um, would they just, um, they were my Egyptian friend growing up. So his mom would make like, um, like so there's kind of like these, like some of these ethnic foods kind of things that are like, that are really just homey. And I just spend a lot of time making those. And I really kind of felt for, for making food every day. And then I get to college, I'm like, need money <laughs> um, so I kind of try and find I'm like cooking for friends stuff like that it's like it's so much easier when you're like experimenting like I get stacks of cookbooks you know and 
you're making food for like so much easier to make to experiment and make food for like six or eight people than it is to make for like two. So yeah. I would have like you know I'd part like people come over, and so I'd bring like ten bucks. It's like you know we're all we're all broke. Yeah. And uh, so I started kind of looking for jobs, and um, I got one at a really bad cafe in like the in a museum on campus. Did that for like two months, and it was obviously not very good. But um, I ended up having a really nice dinner and like that and it just kind of blew my mind like just ha- like just having a really we went, went out to a dinner with my girlfriend at the time and just had this really awesome break braised lamb and potato gratin it was just something I was like how do they make braised lamb it's like it takes so long to make and it's just like that's how stupid I was but <laughs> um, and then I just I kept asked the manager and the manager was like really concerned and I was like I was wondering um, can I get a job here and he's like uh, he sent me down to the, they had two restaurants in the town uh-huh. He's like, just go um, stop by there. Just like, you know, go interview, uh, talk to him. And I was like, okay. And then like a couple days later, I left the cafe and I was still like, you know, it's not New York City. So like I, I'm in my car, so I still have like my Crocs on and like a, a dirty shirt. And it's like, so I roll into the restaurant like, and then ask about, I'm here to like an interview or something. They're like, oh, you're here to trail? And I'm like, yes, I know what that term means. <laughs> um, and then I just ended up working that night and like cleaning shrimp for like four hours and like, I just totally like bamboozled my way into it. And they then, were like, some guy showed up in a porter shirt, make <laughs> yeah. him do something. You know what? Like, have him clean I, I do the same thing to this day. <laughs> so. If they're breathing, you put them on a trail, let's, right? Let's see if it works. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> oh, you need a job? All right, we have a task that you can do uh, repetitively for the next four hours. Yeah. See if you can handle it. And if you can do that, you'll, you can, if, 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 you have, if your brain can survive that, you'll be all right. <laughs> so at this point, you're, you're kind of... You have a job because you need money, and you're in college. Well, that's and, the only reason I have a job. <laughs> and are you actually really think framing this as I can build this into a career, or are you not really thinking that far ahead? So I wasn't too sure about what I wanted to do. Still with college, stuff like that, I really enjoyed cooking. And I kind of at some point, like I was going to school like in the mornings and working nights, and it's like. I remember, like, near graduation, I was like, I couldn't wait to only work full-time. I was, I was like, that's going to be the dream, to only have to work. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> like, um, and I just kind of eventually just kept doing it. And then I was like, I think I'm just going to keep doing it. Like, I just really in lo- and I loved the, like, would, um, me and my now fiancé, we would come to, like, the city um, when we were, like, when I was still probably 19, probably the first time. And we'd come here for, like, a weekend. Like, I'd basically skip school Monday. So we'd leave like Friday night and like fly in, or Saturday. We'd like fly in early in the morning, be here for like day and a half, eating like twelve or fifteen different places, like way too much food. Like I could never do that now. It was yeah. <laughs> so gluttonous, but it was like just like hitting up all these like hot spots. Basically, I had like the Zagat guide. You yeah, know, it was great. And I was like, it's like had the map open, and just like at one restaurant, about to go to another one. You were doing. You were doing <laughs> extensive. R and D. I I wanted to know what the standards were. Like, what is good? What was a like? What is a great potato soup? Like, I needed to kind of like get that kind of like that north star. Yeah. Like what? What a restaurant can be. To this day, does anything really resonate with you? Like, did you go into a specific place and say, "Oh my god, I can't believe that I'm eating a X for the first time. It's this is insane." I remember we 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 went to Per Se one time. It was. It was like middle of the afternoon. We were like we were already eating in like three different. We'd already eaten three places for lunch, and so we're like kind of walking it off. And so we kind of just go up and just look at it. You know, that's how that's that's how it was before we lived here. And then uh, then we just like the door opened and like there's a major deal. I was like, um, so if there's any way we could get like if anyone cancels, maybe just give us a call. And it's like, okay, like this is a uh, 2009, maybe 2008. It's yeah. like. It was definitely very hot spot still. Like mm-hmm. it still is. I mean, still packed. Right. But uh, <laughs> and then so like of course that's never gonna work. And so then we go to like three different other restaurants. Like I think we're at well, the Bar American. I think we were at. <laughs> and so that if that dates it well. <laughs> and uh, eating like cauliflower gratin and like French fries. It's like nine o'clock. And then we get like a phone call and it's like, um, yeah, could you be here the next like half hour? We're like, oh god. <laughs> We are so full. Uh, oh, we are so wearing jeans and T-shirts right now, and now we got to find a store that's open to get like fant- nice clothes. Or, like, <laughs> I don't have a jacket or anything. It's yeah. like so we go to like Armani Exchange is open. And just <laughs> like all right, and so but we're like we're pretty buzzed too. We're like but we're like rushing uptown, 
to um, um, go to Per Se. And then it's that was like the first, that was a very revelatory kind of like to see how service can be and like how a restaurant can make you feel, like how special it can make you feel and like how, how much joy and that you can get out of it. Like the first, that was like my first white truffles, my first like um, caviar, like all these like, extravagant things. But it was also just the fact that there was like a little stool for like a purse, like lo- all these, like the fact that we never wanted for anything. It was such a nice experience. And and what's cool is they probably spotted you guys the second you crossed the threshold. They thought, all right, these people are not our normal clientele. <laughs> I bet these people actually really enjoy food. And this yeah. is going to be an incredible experience just, for them. This wasn't just a tu- like a Tuesday dinner. Yeah, yeah exactly. It was, it was, like, it's oh, very we'll just, obvious. We'll just pop into per se. You guys yeah. were like sprinting down the street being, <laughs> I need a blazer right now. I'm yeah. going to the, you know, the best restaurant in New York. Yeah, uh, no. <laughs> so you have this, you have these revelatory New York City experiences. I assume that that kind of sealed the deal for you on moving back here. Uh, so we, uh, that was one of the things that we went on a couple trips and by like the second or third trip, um, uh, Lisa, my fiance, finally kind of, she's like, I think, yeah, like we kept we kept staying in like progressively more neighborhoods than like it's like the first time we stayed at like the Hyatt at Grand Times Central, Square, you yeah. know, like and then we just and we just kind of progressively moved out a little sure. bit further into like kind of it's like you know you we're became, in like you we're, became more in tune with the city. Yeah, we were a little more comfortable with what we were doing, and so we we're like we stayed in like Murray Hill the next time, and it's like as we we got away from that and started to see just more just people living life and doing their laundry and like getting like. It's it started. Just, it uh, feels almost like a place you can. It's like live. a place, you know. <laughs> it isn't. It isn't just sort of like a living tourist trap. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll start talking about the move to New York properly and some of the uh, first restaurants that you worked on here. Stick with us. We'll be right back on the line on Heritage Radio. This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart, a new building in Bushwick, Brooklyn, that provides offices, co-working, event spaces, and a brand new podcast recording room. Have you been dreaming of starting your very own podcast in Brooklyn? You can now rent space in 100 Bogart's custom-built podcast room to record interviews, voiceover, and commentary. The room is fitted out with two microphones, mixing board, and a MacBook Pro running Pro Tools. You can rent the space by the hour, and a rental of an hour or more includes a 100 Bogart co-working pass. That means complimentary coffee, tea, and access to your own desk for the rest of the day. So what are you waiting for? Get started on your next audio project. 100 Bogart has the space and amenities you need to kickstart your podcast. Learn more at 100bogart.com or call their team at 718 362 Three five three nine. Welcome back to the line here on Heritage Radio. If you're just joining us for the second half of the show, I'm joined. Uh, I'm. I'm joined here by Jordan, and he is the chef of Dirty French on the Lower East Side. And before this, we were talking about uh, Florida and kind of coming up and checking out New York for the first time. And you said in the first half that you were basically you were you were giving it a shot. You'd come for a day and a half. You'd come for a weekend, and you and your now fiance would kind of get a feel for the land. So you finally made the decision to move back here. Uh, She's now a teacher, so I assume Mm -hmm. that she was looking for a teaching job. So she actually uh, went to NYU. Oh, Um, okay. So she, well, when we moved here, so then she went to grad school because that's the only way to get a job. (laughs) So like uh, that was like... So that was she did like a master's program in like one year it was like a, a lot it was so, so much. So her path is is set. She's going to be a teacher. She goes to NYU and you do what what cooks do when they when they come to New York. You set up some trails. So you set up one at Tabla, one at Sambar and one at Polinos and what happens? So I mean I I trail all of them. They're all great. Like Tabla, I mean unfortunately Tabla closed not too long after that, but that was a very special restaurant I think. Like 
Um, like that was a that was the first big like clean like like you know super clean tight like white like bright lights like huge space like have you ever I don't know if you've ever been to that space mm-hmm. over there like, it's the one it's, it was right next to where EMP is now mm-hmm. and it was just like a, an amazing space and like they had an entire closet of just spices and like they had scales like in the room like that it was like um, it, the lines were huge like 15 people maybe on the line like it was uh, that old kind of French one with the um, the one that passed at the very beginning and then all the lines kind of perpendicular to it and mm-hmm. everyone's kind of walking all their stuff up like that. Yeah. Um, and it was a really fun trail and um, the chefs were really kind. Um, and so, so I trailed there. I trailed at Sambar, which was like, I remember that was the first place I trailed like the day after I got here. Like I flew in and first thing they had me do was uh, juice a case of oranges and I was like, I just left Florida. This is exhausting. <laughs> like, I'm no interest in that, <laughs> but, uh, you know, at that space is like that basement space. You have to like kind of tilt your head down. You have to like, you have to really squat to get around in there. <laughs> but that was a really like, that was, a, they were like really aggressive kind of like focused kind of a cooks. They were really, really like focused on everything they were doing and very serious about all of it. And I don't know if I was ready for that yet. <laughs> I was not, um, I wasn't prepared to, for that kind of a thing yet. It, it was, it was a really nice trail, but that was, uh, that one wasn't. I don't think it was right for me yet. And then uh, trailed up Plinos, which is kind of what I had been wanting, to, where I'd been wanting to work, because uh, because of Nate Appleman and the whole like working with um, whole animals and things like that. I had done that in college. We had um, there's like a because it's an ag school, so there's a whole program for you know um, animal husbandry and stuff like that. And there's also like a, like a slaughterhouse butcher program for teaching people to do that. So mm-hmm. you know, um, so I'd, I'd used to go there every couple weeks and break down like a pig or. Um, a cow or something like that. It was great because it was a school. So if I messed it up, it didn't matter. It was a, like it was great. <laughs> well, your degree is in food science and human nutrition, so yeah. I, I assume that you covered some aspects of uh, just like what a dietitian would have to learn and some general chemistry, and then yeah. So I focus. I spoke focus on the food science aspect of it. You mm-hmm. kind of there's a you kind of focus on one of the two. It's like basically it's. One is one is before it gets to your body. One is when it hits your body. So it's kind of like that's, uh, and I focus more on the food science aspect of it. So it was um, a lot of chemistry. Most it was mostly chemistry and um, and way more math than I ever wanted to do. Much that snuck up on you. Oh yeah, God, I, that really creeps in there. That made it really hard. Like once, especially once I like decided I'm gonna be I'm, I'm gonna be a cook. Like it made that last that senior year was hard to finish. <laughs> But my mom, the, the degree is on the wall at home. My mom's happy. There you go. Right. Good. You're like, there's always going to be a scale around. I can figure out ratios. I don't need all this math, you uh, know. Differential equations have not come up. Yeah, not very much when you're on the line. Uh, so Polino's uh, was a – describe Polino's so, and, and talk about what you learned there. Uh, we were talking – before we went on air about how everything came out of those two big ovens. I ate there. It's no longer uh, a restaurant that's open, but uh, describe a little bit what the first kind of few weeks on so the job were like. It was like it was a hugely hyped opening too. Very, like, it yeah. was like I haven't seen anything like like I thought that was normal because I just moved here. Yeah, it was insane. Like we were doing a thousand covers a day and turning away a thousand people. Like it was and like it was just press. Like it was everywhere, and it was. Whew. But so I, I trailed there and what things I really admired about it that kind of really helped was one, I really love the idea of really working wood ovens, something I'd been interested in learning about, the whole animal aspect, something I was really interested about. And then when I met all the cooks, everyone was super nice. Like everyone is also kind of most people there had kind of recently moved here as well. The entire chef team just came from San Francisco. So it's like they helped like they all have like realtors. They kind of helped like people would come and stay on their couches for months at a time. And like, it was just this really nice culture of everyone kind of like coming and moving here to kind of together. And that really creates a team. That's it, camaraderie. It really like, was. You know who's yeah. standing next to you and you know that they'll work hard for you and, and there's you'll do the same. Five people from that opening team coming to my wedding. I guess like, you know, like these, it's been 10 years and we still keep in contact. And I really kind of like, I didn't know that was unusual before I moved it before because it was like the first restaurant. Then like like oh, this is how it always works. No. <laughs> so you you have worked at several places, a lot of spots in Brooklyn. I'm curious about which one of the places you felt gave you the most as 
leadership training because now you're in a role where you are in charge of everything. Now when you reflect, which place do you say, wow, I think I really learned there yeah. how to lead? Man- management is a very um, difficult game to really learn. It takes a, lo- it's a lot of trial and error. Um, I mean, my first kind of like, I, I ended up moving to like kind of a position at Polino's uh, before it left there and then went um, to Prime Meats and that was like my first time being hired like as a Sioux. And um, it was a lot to come into a place that had such established people, like such the cooks had been there for a while. Mm-hmm. So to kind of like softly like get into it was like definitely a big learning thing. And then uh, uh, after that, like a lot of small, the smaller places, you learned a lot of really how how important it is to be like very clear and specific with everyone individually. Because like the small places, like personalities really matter in a small place. Like you can't. You can't have this like big swinging like like rah 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 aggressiveness in like a place with an open kitchen with three cooks. You know, it's a, so you learn a lot more like subtlety and how to kind of get people to um, to get what you need out of them without the uh, aggressiveness of the, that you often find in a lot of larger kitchens. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just a result of it's too large. It's like there's it has to be really direct and really there's no time for that kind of when there's 15 other cooks on the line. You know. Um, but Prime Meats was a great spot because um, the chef Antonio there was uh, really, uh, really good. Like kind of like he was, he would allow me to kind of just like he like kind of like fostered an environment where he wasn't like telling me what to do. He just like would allow me to even make mistakes or to figure things out. Like and kind of coach from there instead of like trying to like directly explaining how to do something. He kind of just um, gave the environment to um, explore that with that. Yeah, and then also my. Uh, uh, Lisa, my lady, is uh, her management because of her education um, and what she does. Like managing second graders is no different than managing <laughs> line cooks, as I know that you're very aware. Yeah. It's if anything, <laughs> it's almost a little bit worse when they get older and have their own agency now and yes. kind of like Interesting <laughs> choose point. their own decisions. But she, we reflect a lot on things, like especially in the very in the beginning of all that. We would kind of like you know we talk about our days and. She'd give me a lot of um, techniques and tools for how to kind of what to expect from people and then what, um, you know, just little things like giving two options. That way they feel like they have a, a choice in it. It's like you can do this or you can do this, but you're, you're deciding what the two things are. So you're still get you know. I like that. Use those classroom strategies in oh. order to create structure but, in the kitchen and where that's, there isn't That's what any. people need. They <laughs> yeah. need, and it's like the... Like the problem solving zone is something she 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 gave me where it's like there's just like a it's just like a piece of paper on a wall that has like a little script for like I'm sorry that I made you feel this way it's just like, it's like and just like go to the problem solving zone figure this out like <laughs> <laughs> so there's it's been a lot of that but a lot of um, um, management I've I've gotten from her as well and I just you know and trying things out. At- you, you alluded to just kind of letting Antonio letting you kind of make the mistake right. Uh, do you now sometimes see people doing things and you give them the opportunity to go down a little bit as like in a as a way to have show a corrective measure? If there's a situation where you can maybe describe how you react to someone when they're either doing something wrong or off in your kitchen, how do you address that? So it's really everyone's a little bit different. Everyone has different kind of styles of learning, different way, things that kind of really work for them, and that just takes you know a lot of t- spending time with it. So the it, most if people are making a mistake or people mess something up, it's not usually it's not something I freak out about because it's going to happen. I understand that. The issues are people when they repeat it over and over, or they don't understand why it's a problem, or like w- when it. And when you go into it aggressively, people will instinctually come back aggressively. So going into it a little bit softer, like and kind of like having the conversation first, and then sometimes people don't react well to any correction. Sometimes people are eager for it. Sometimes some people need to um, be shown exactly what to do. Some people need to be kind of allowed to figure it out. Like there's no one way to brunoise out. There's a million different ways to do it, and I really don't care how you get there as long as the final product's the same. I'm fine with that. Like, mm-hmm. and especially with new cooks, you start out with like teaching. This is how I know to make this right. If eventually you can find another way to get to this product, fine. But you need to make sure that you know this way. That way, when everything is going down around you, you can still get it done. Like, I don't, like a lot of people will 
just out of just habit almost will I always try and uh, change every every little detail and it's it's hard to understand it's just I think it's like it's, it's like hubris it's, I don't understand it it's just like <laughs> there's there is often a a mindset that people can bring to a new job like I have seen a lot and I'm coming to this new job and let me show you how I can do X, Y, Z. Or they come in with a certain sense of entitlement. I can do this very fast and let me show you, right? And that can be really difficult as the leader. You're not only managing the restaurant, but you're managing all these personalities and you're really what you're trying to do is just create efficiency using a bunch of people's different Ideas. Yeah, everyone balances each other out. Like when you, when you have a good team, like when that, when you have a really good team on, and everyone's kind of vibing, everyone's like like all the foods coming out smoothly. Like it is a great feeling to like. Totally. It's like whenever you get everyone together, but it's really tough to get that to get there. And one of the things I also do is like our Sioux team has been there since the opening as well, which is very unusual for very like, unusual. Like so, the um, our exec Sue Karen, she was the opening uh, hot apps cook. Um, our Sue, uh, Sosh, he was, uh, opening GM cook and he got his ass kicked on opening. I mean, we all got our ass kicked, but he, uh, he, he was, uh, they had a special, they really had a special place in their heart for being on him hard. So, uh, but they, these people open the restaurants, so they know all of the culture, all of this attitudes, all of the, the, um, and so what I do, and they're still there. So what we do is I really try to give them the opportunity to manage these people. Like it's like when mm-hmm. I, I try not to just directly deal with everyone because it's too much. There's a lot of, there's a lot going on. It's like, you know, it's first half of the day is on the computer. Second half of the day is on, is on the past, you know, like it's a, uh, it's, uh, there's always a lot to be done. And, uh, so and kind of try to empower them to really take care of, um, of management of people and details. Like, it's like, I find something that's wrong. Like point it out to them, you know, like it's kind of, that's what, um, like Rich and Mario do with me. Like they, like they find instead of just they don't they're not solving the problem they're telling me to solve it so mm-hmm. kind of like try to pass that on a little bit too so they can so they can grow as well and for those listening it's not even necessarily like you're kicking it downhill or passing the buck off what you're doing is actually giving someone you're deputizing them yeah. you're giving them the agency to solve the problem and feel like they have the free reign to go yeah. about the task at hand, right? Like, I have absolute faith in them and they, and they like, and they need to kind of know that and right. like, and to give them like, it's about, it's just about empowering them to like, to, it, to become, to, to move into a chefdom. Like it can be detrimental as the person leading to constantly try to solve the problem. Cause you end up probably not doing as good a job. And also you undercut everyone else. Yeah. And then there's a reason we have a management team. That's the <laughs> whole issue. That's what we have a team for a reason. <laughs> let's, and let's talk about that structure because what is really fascinating to me, and I hope everybody listening is that you work for an organization that has hundreds, maybe thousands of employees internally at the restaurants. And then probably a whole other team that, uh, that basically oversees the restaurants from, uh, a financial and personnel oh, yes. we, perspective. We've gotten much closer over the past six months, me and the, and the, and the accounting team. So you've got an accounting, <laughs> there's HR, there's there's legal, there's marketing. You probably have a VIP concierge team. So you work in a big organization. I'm curious about the things within that organization that make your job easier and the things that make it more challenging if those exist coming from a place like Prime Meats, which is a big restaurant, quote unquote, by Brooklyn standards. It's a sprawling enterprise. And now you really like you, you work for a massive corporation. So what are those differences? How do they positively and negatively impact your ability to, to lead? Like when we first started, like when I first started with Dirty French, like I think HR, that wasn't even sure if there was an HR yet. Like it's in this company's just grown so much so quickly, but it's been, (coughs) it's been controlled growth and it's been done well and done like wisely. I think like it's, um, our corporate team now is really get like, really it's like kind of running strong. Like we're getting some really, I think as we've grown as a company, the we're you know, we're getting people that are really fitting in well with this <coughs> new growth, like, you know, opening up 375 really changed a lot for us. Like as far as, uh, learning how to manage really large operations, cause that was just three restaurants in one building. It's like all at once. Like, um, 
So it's really helpful. Like I, we have our, our director of purchasing. I work with a lot because we're you know always trying to always trying to work on making our, our inventory and our food costs and um, trying to bring down um, purchases and things like that. So um, having that resource and like it's she running she runs a team of like three other people and she can she tries to like she goes through things like we just went through the linen order she did the she organized all the linen orders for the entire year before and tried to find like if we cut five percent here five percent here we're saving twenty five thousand a year like that like and, and having and for, that for people that are, that are that are wondering what this role is essentially this is someone who's processing all the internal invoices right and then you're looking for you're looking for price fluctuations but based on your purveyors to find dollars so, so yeah <laughs> we, exactly we that's what we we do that each restaurant kind of does that like we um our our sous chef team actually does we do the receiving and the all the, and all the invoice management and stuff like that and then mm-hmm. we kind of um run all those numbers and then they send those off to corporate and they go good job or bad and then we adjust from there <laughs> but she um, kind of helps a lot, a lot about buying power and stuff like that. She kind of helps consolidate the restaurants, uh, purchasing mm-hmm. companies, things like that. And then just having someone who can use Excel so much better than me. It is. People, <laughs> people, people with data input while talking. And it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, this, this takes me hours. And, but so then she presents these, these tools, basically. Like, these spreadsheets are just tools for us to use to make better decisions about how we run the business saves you time so much time so that's yeah. great hr is you know huge huge help of dealing with any issues with people um and if they don't teach how to use excel in culinary school they should and your first line cook job an hour a day they should teach you how to use it they're gonna say they should say one day you are probably gonna be a sous chef and you're probably gonna lead a kitchen and guess what you're gonna sit at a computer all the time and, and it's gonna suck and it's exhausting and you're gonna be bad at it's it it's so tiring yeah. it's like I, it's like you I can ask anyone, work the line for eight hours exactly fine yeah if you ask anyone hey you wanna cook uh, you know a hundred steaks and 80 pieces of fish tonight or you want to spend 40 minutes balancing invoices i think anyone is gonna it's like i got you... some pnls for you when, uh, <laughs> yeah. let's check this out the um <laughs> ah yes the pnl so uh, the the restaurant that you run is in a hotel yes i am gonna guess that because it's in a hotel you have some built-in clientele it's also an mfg restaurant it's busy. It's popular. It has a high price point, right? Someone who runs uh, a restaurant that that does the amount of volume and the covers and the alcohol that you do, some some people might say, "Oh, he's on Easy Street." Like th- they they generate a lot of income, and he can order the f- foie gras by the truckload. I'm curious, what are the challenges that you have from a P and L perspective, from a leadership perspective? Even though you know there might there might be great positive cash flow revenue coming in what are your challenges still well so we have a price point kind of that our restaurant operates at you know and that's been it's five years it's been five years so it's kind of like the guests are pretty much kind of defined what they're willing to spend what kind of food they want like we can always go higher we can go lower like we're in kind of a middle ground of some extravagance some more humble stuff like things that kind of like about kind of a balanced um, um, price point. And, like, you know, we, I opened the grill in the pool. Very different game of what, <laughs> what we're selling. And it's, like, and it's not about the, the quality is still the same. The technique is still the same. It's just about what products are we selling. What, like, we're not selling Dover Souls. We're selling Black Bass. Like, you know, we're not selling um, Snake River, like, like 100-day dry-aged Snake River. We're selling just, like, a nice, like, 30... 32 ounce coats of both. Like, so, like, so it's still all great stuff. It's just there's different levels of, uh, pr- of basically price points for what people are going out for. And uh, on the Lower East Side, we're definitely one of the um, more expensive places in there, but we're also trying to deliver like a little bit more of an, uh, still like an elevated dining experience in the Lower East Side. Like, but it's, uh, it's been like we, we, do, we do some flaw. We do things like, one way that we kind of manage that is using this, the more expensive things kind of as, as little flourishes, and like instead of doing a side of morels, we'll just garnish something with a with a pile of morels. Like you know, it's like mm. we can't. No one, no one's coming to Dirty French to get a twenty five dollar side. You know, that's not what we do there. That's mm-hmm. not what people expect from us. Right. That's um. So that's not what our guests choose. Um. So sprinkling those kinds of things in there, 
is kind of uh, the extravagance. We do that, and that's kind of how we balance it out. It's like um, we do we do a nice flotterine, and we also we do a bunch of other charcuterie with it, and kind of just have this big platter of it instead of just having um, that. And then so it's a little more expensive, but we're able to because we make this very large platter. It's for two people. You kind of are able to kind of justify the price because you're getting a lot for it, and then you the foie is kind of the cost of that kind of gets absorbed in by the other things. Um, so that's kind of the way that we balance that out. We just met, but you seem like a very humble guy. You seem very easygoing. And, and you're working for a restaurant where pretty much I'm going to venture a guess that 99.9% of the people that come in, they think that Rich and Mario are in the kitchen. And it's their restaurant. But you're you're running the the show. I'm curious, is there tension for you about the fact that um, you run a really popular, successful restaurant and you are not as well known for it as you could potentially be if it wasn't an MFG restaurant? Do you care at all about that? And are there days when uh, when you do and days when you don't? Um, for the most part, we're very involved, all of us together, especially uh, spending all this time like R&Ding directly with Rich and Mario um, and Jeff and all that at, like, as we're opening 375. Um, so we now have such like, much stronger relationships, so we very much, they're very much involved in it still. Like, yeah. they still they, what they'd like to do, they like to come into dinner. That's really the biggest thing. It's like it's like we have meetings every week, obviously with uh, Rich and stuff like that, because that's um, Dirty French is more focused on Rich. That's more of his kind of thing. Like Mario is like they they kind of like split it up a little bit. Like yeah. they're always they're all involved in all of it, and they really help balance each other out. Like that's they do. They, it's a great pairing because they have such different strengths, and but they're they works really well together. Um, so Rich is always around, always involved. Um, but it's kind of the same. It's like I present and he kind of helps like he has a great palate he's got a great sense of the pulse of like kind of like what's what's kind of um what people will be interested in what's kind of trending or not or what's like or it's and for us especially dirty french is kind of based on like 80s kind of extravagance there's always a fine line that we're trying to walk between like is this kitschy and fun or is this just 80s trash you know like (laughs) there's a there's a it's a fine line to walk of like is this is this exciting and like ridiculous or is this just ridiculous like there's a it's so um like mario will come in and have dinner and you know get an email with some comments things like that we'll talk about it and we'll um grow from there and it's always we're always at all within all the properties and all the restaurants always checking like that quality control is something that the the tastings and the like to, to make it to get new things in the menu takes weeks takes if not months sometimes of just tasting and tweaking and tasting and making sure that it's exactly what we want it to be and it's also something we can execute not just making one plate of it is something we can do and actually serve like to 100 to 150 people um, but the, yeah they're st- very very involved in that like they'll come in like they come and have uh, to private parties and things like that those stoppings they have, they have friends and you know, there's always uh, conversations about what we can do better, what we're do, what we are doing well, and uh, not just finance related or anything like that. Yeah. We talk, you know, it's like I'll get you out of here on this last question. Uh, as you look forward down the path of your career, maybe one day you branch out on your own. Maybe one day, you know, major food group says to you, "You've been with us for a long time. What's?" your dream project do you know right now in your head what that might potentially be like do you have a a glimmer of of what your your dream restaurant could ever be like well i'm not sure my lady would ever allow that (laughs) (laughs) luckily i have that to fall back on just like no you are not opening up your own place (laughs) i mean you know as you know it's uh it is it's work it is a lot of work and uh at this point, still, I'm still doing just fine having a having a small piece of a really big pie than like having the entire small pie. <laughs> like, I'm still very okay with that. <laughs> so, um, you know, eventually, I'm sure there will be opportunities, there'll be things like that. But I do, I foresee there be still being involved in some way, and then it growing. You know, from with investors and things like that, and kind of like. Um, like a lot of the other chefs who come th- up through this, um, like Eli, we were talking about earlier, you know, mm-hmm. does High High Street. Um, he started with at the very beginning at Terezi. Um, a lot of the chefs who like opened Carbone went, went to Vegas, opened that Carbone, and now they're running 
multiple restaurants in Vegas. Like there's um, there's um, a growth within um, the context, and maybe not just specifically the company, but within all of this group of people and all these investors and things like that that I could see. Um, right now, I'm still trying to. Uh, my main focus now is learning how to run a business well, and kind of like how to run a how to run a whole restaurant. It's kind of my first whole restaurant running position. So I'm really trying to focus on that and get that down. And once I just like just like cooking, it's like once I have that mastered, then I can move on to the next one, like the next part of it. Once that's figured out. Jordan, tell everyone the address of the restaurant. Where can they uh, find you and what are the hours of operation? So, yeah, uh, Dirty French. We're at 180 Ludlow Street, Lower East Side, right there in Ludlow between uh, Houston and Stanton. Um, big neon sign, <laughs> big bright pink neon sign. Uh, we are open 24-7, really. Um, we're open for breakfast at uh, 7, and then we go through until uh, lunch starts at around noon. Then we get dinner around 5.30. The lounge is always open. Uh, room service is always open. <laughs> so if you, really, if you really have a hankering for a turkey sandwich and uh, some chips at 3 in the morning, just book a room, and uh, we're there for you. Don't worry. Chef, thanks so much for being here and sharing uh, a little bit about your career and your story and uh, what you're working on right now. We appreciate it. All right, thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You can find more episodes of The Line and our 30-plus other programs on heritageradionetwork.org. And join me here on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. for new episodes of The Line on Heritage Radio. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.